So we are hearing the narration of the advent of Krishna is related in Srimad Bhagavatam. And uh, the speaker here is the boy, sage, Sukadev Goswami, speaking to the king, the Raj Prikshit Maharaj. And uh, Sukadev has himself been glorified by the king in terms of his qualifications to speak on the t- subject. Um, the very fact that he was uh, naked and oblivious to the fact is uh, evidence itself. Uh, he didn't discriminate between man or uh, woman. Um, he didn't even know if he was clothed or not. That's the implication. So he was not externally absorbed um, with names and forms and friends and enemies. But um, rather he was turned uh, inward and identified with that which we all have in common despite our material human differences which we sometimes pride and uh, determines our individuality Um, we should be clear that uh, such differences are really born of sense perception and 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 the mind when we get a perception of the world it's black or white or red or blue and that's relative to the instruments through which we're we the seer the perceiver consciousness is perceiving and everyone has a different set of instruments to one extent or another so the subjective take on the objective world um, and then an identity formed around that subjective take. So, as much as we are fond of our differences which distinguish us um, and make us individuals, that kind of individuality is inevitably will get in the way of the unity that we sense and we feel in our heart as reality must be about. So if we're to arrive at that sense of unity, we have to go beyond the flawed instruments of perception, the form of the mind and senses. And um, so Sukadev's position was such. He had gone beyond that. He identified not only with the unifying factor, so to speak, the fact that we're all consciousness, and that means, yes, we're all humans, but that then distinguishes us from the animals and from the plants. So... Greater unity, we are all consciousness, and that which animates the world of plants, the world of the microbes, the world of the animals and humans is all of the same stuff, consciousness. At the same time, that's true, we're all unique individuals, units of consciousness at the same time, little atoms of consciousness that have a little something different written on each one of them. Hmm? as to our our destiny. Hmm? It is said that the, the, the dharma 
the nature in a generic, general sense of each atom of consciousness is that it's a serving atom, hmm? serving part in relation to the whole. We each have a part in the mind of Krishna as to how he will ultimately accept service from us. <clears throat> and and that's kind of like, if you will, our kind of our inheritance. So we are something, but um, we have an inheritance. Sri Chaitanya Dev described it like that. Um, there's the north, south, east, and west, and uh, different directions. An astrologer was told uh, the gentleman, look to the east. East is the represents Devaki. Devaki is the mother of Krishna here in the Leela, and Bhakti. North, south, east, and west represent other interesting enough paths, but um, they don't lead to the full uh, possibility. They, they don't, every path doesn't lead to serving Krishna and his Leela, to uniting with Absolute in such intimacy. That doesn't make it wrong, but you judge for yourself which would you would prefer. And um, as much as love, if we were to measure it, it seems immeasurable, but nonetheless, it's the degree to which the, there are reciprocal dealings, the, de- the degree to which you and I become one, so to speak, in a dynamic sense, that will be a way to bring a yardstick um, of objectivity uh, with which to measure love. Hmm? At the same time, well, if I sit you down to a meal and serve the full meal, you eat to your satisfaction, then that's fine. Someone may eat the whole plate, someone may eat only half. That's, uh, again, how Krishna would like to accept service from us. That may be a little different for everybody. Some may serve in awe and reverence, some may serve in intimacy, and within that there are variations as well. But anyway, at any rate, that is our inheritance. So it's not necessarily within us, but it's not separate from us either. It's our potential. And our full self, it's not an artificial self that's created our identity when we get our inheritance. It's just the full measure of all that we can be, given all the factors that um, uh, are part of our being, our potentiality, our uh, associations, and so forth. So we're associated with the Absolute, and he's the treasure, so to speak. So to excavate that, uh, our place in in the treasure chest of love of God, this is what bhakti is about. And Devaki, who's going to be interested, introduced here, she represents the eastern direction and um, um, and bhakti. Hmm? So, Sukadeva is, is narrating this. He's qualified, as I say, because not only has he become acquainted with the underlying unity 
that, uh, that which we all have in common, we're all units of consciousness, he's also acquainted with, with the difference, not on a material sense, which he's become oblivious to, the differences that we arrive at by sense perception, thinking I'm American, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm black or white and so forth, but the differences of um, within the, the, the unity, the difference, like I say, the kind of like the, the name written on each atom, they're all, they're all atoms, they're all the same, they all have a different, slightly different, unique destiny. That is Krishna, Kilarasamrita Murti. He's full of all possibilities. So as many jiva souls, as many as atoms as there are, and they're more, what this, <laughs> they're more universes than there are grains of sand on earth. So what is big of jivas within them? Hmm. Lots. And Krishna reciprocates with each one uniquely. Hmm. Each coward friend of Krishna thinks, Krishna loves me the most, and each one is right. Hmm. When he sat in the forest, and uh, picnic lunch described in the Brahma Mohan Lila, the Lila where Brahma was bewildered by the mystic power of Krishna and so forth, and the Agasura in the form of a serpent was slain. Agasura means, uh, means sin personified, impiety personified. Then, uh, just, just before all that took place, they were having a picnic lunch, and there, Krishna, they were more cowherds than there are universes, and then there are jivas within them, all there. How could Krishna be with each one? How could he give attention to each one? That's why he's the center. There's a difference between him and the circumference. That's why he's the whole. And there's a difference between the whole and the part. And this is, this is the, how the difference is described by Rupa Goswami. Akila Rasamrita Murti. Akila Rasamrita. Unlimited, the form of Murti means for unlimited, the form of unlimited capacity to reciprocate in love. So if love is to be graded or measured, I should say, on a scale of the, the uh, uh, capacity of, or the, the measure of reciprocation, this is how the Goswamis have measured Krishna, so to speak, and concluded that this is where it all stops here. The Buddha is, is, the, is an incarnation of the Godhead's wisdom. He was brought up yesterday. The Christ is the, the, the sacrificing, and Krishna the loving heart beat of the Absolute. And so there he was with all the cowherds, and each one felt that Krishna was sitting right in front of me and uh, dealing with me intimately, taking food from my mouth and putting it in his, like children will do, and food from his mouth and putting it in mine, and this is pretty intimate. For <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, and similarly in Rasalila, there were unlimited gopis. Hmm. Unlimited. Each one felt that Krishna was dancing with her. Hmm. He has this capacity. So, it's... Uh, He's the center, is the idea. So Sugadev was acquainted with this also. He became acquainted with this. Upon becoming acquainted with his self as a unit of consciousness through the sounds 
the sounds of the Bhagavatam hmm, that he heard. His father sent a woodcutter to find him because he ran away from home, like some of us. But uh, <laughs> the father sent uh, a woodcutter out singing these songs from the Bhagavatam that are praise of Krishna. And that had a powerful effect upon him. Um, he was not attracted to anything material, but these sounds about Krishna's form and pastimes, he became attracted. The implication is they look material, but they're not material. Hmm? It looks like a boy sitting having lunch, a picnic in the forest with his friends, but there's unlimited friends, <laughs> and each one is experiencing that he that each one is experiencing that he's sitting practically with me alone. He's giving me all 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 attention. Hmm? So, Sugadev became acquainted with this idea, and uh, he passed out. It's described in the Brahmavimohan, he passed out thinking of that. This is incredible, he said. Such is the nature of bhakti, that it, it has the, the power to bring the tiny, tiny atom of consciousness so intimately in touch with the source of all consciousness and all matter that the, that, that the source will subordinate itself to that particular atom out of, out of love. Meet him on his or her terms. So all this is bewildering to Sukadeva Goswami, the speaker of the Bhagavatam, and what's happening as he speaks. These are, the, as we talked the other day, the nuclear explosions in the sun of his self. Hmm? Uh, that uh, are uh, various transformations of ecstasy. Prabhupada once described his commentary on the Bhagavatam as his emotional ecstasies, his responses to, as I'm saying here, the emotional ecstasies of Sugadev, who tries to contain himself and can't at times, and passes out and starts again. And so this is what happens in this canto. There's ten cantos to the twelfth cantos of the book. This is the tenth, and this is the largest of all of them. Hmm? And it covers the whole life and divine play of Krishna. So this is where we are, given that this festival is a gathering commemorating the appearance of Krishna in the world. A very complex subject. Last year we had a similar gathering and we discussed this all from the Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. All where the avatar tattva is described in the fourth chapter, the nature of the descent of the Godhead into the world. So this this year here now we're speaking about it from the Bhagavatam, and um, and this is where we are. And just to bring everybody up to speed, because new guests have, are coming every day, it seems. So um, so um, the Raj has explained that, um, or excuse me, the Sukadeva has explained to the king, to the Raj, that uh, that Krishna was, that, that the earth was burdened by by the fact that people did not, were not using their human life for spiritual experience, but rather for accumulation of things, and she was burdened by this. Um, this is just t- t- taking, and the earth, of course, is, is a giver, we should take from the earth in such a way that we learn to become givers. That's the idea. If you're in touch with a giver, 
the lesson isn't just, wow, that's great. <laughs> Taking is great, receiving is great. We should think, no, that person is, what's satisfying them? I'm getting satisfied from, from, the, from, the, from the giving that's coming to me, hmm? but a little bit of intelligence. We think, what about the person who's giving? What, what's making, their position must be better. The things that they're giving, they're, they're giving. So the lesson to learn, as I say, it, it, as much as we understand the earth to be a giver, and it is in so many respects, is that the earth is telling us, you should be a giver. Hmm? So we don't learn that lesson, we become a burden to the teacher. The earth is like a teacher for us, supporting us. We're standing on the earth. And um, in so many ways, she's giving support, and uh, and from her comes the you know the food and so on and so forth. And so many ways, Earth is sustaining, and we don't stop to think about that. We're just taking, and walking. Hmm? So those steps become a burden. If the teacher is teaching, the students aren't learning. It becomes a burden, right? If they're learning then he has the capacity to learn also. Watching them learn, then she thinks, I'm also learning. As the, as the knowledge is shared with the student and the student starts to act in terms of the knowledge, then we can look at the knowledge from another side. Hmm? And uh, that is illuminating as well. So there's a dynamic there. Anyway, so without that dynamic, if it's only one-sided, then it becomes a burden. So. It became a burden to the earth, and so she took the form of a cow, which is also a giver, and said uh, that uh, they're milking me dry here, <laughs> and they're not giving me, they're not scratching my neck, <laughs> not brushing me down, and so forth, and they're not feeding me. And so she complained to uh, Brahma, the creator god. And he said, well, that's work of maintenance, not creation. I'll talk to Vishnu about that. So it was not that easy to talk to. So he had to go within. He meditated. Got a message from Vishnu. message was, yes, I understand the situation. I'm going to remedy it. I will be incarnating in the world, avataring, descending in the world, and uh, to remedy the situation. And you tell a lot of these people who have come to heaven and are living there, they should go down and... And um, they've come here after doing sadhana for me, doing yoga and not being perfect. They went to heaven, tell them I'm coming, and I tell them they should take birth on earth and perfect their life in the context of my leela. Hmm? So, wow. Um, and then he said, Vishnu said, and not only I will come, but my Aungsavatar will come. That means Ram, Krishna and Ram, Balaram. Hmm? It's hard enough to talk to people about God in today's world and convince them there's a God. If you have to tell them he has a brother, too, that's like really <laughs> stretching it. So uh, Ram is the brother. What Ram means, as I've explained earlier, is that these different avatars of the God are different emotional <coughs> moments in the life of the Absolute. It's like we all have emotions and we get a big a wave of emotion and then but for the Godhead, our emotions are from our mind, so to speak. Hmm? Mental, emotional uh, uh, experience of human life. I don't mean to diminish it. It's, it's our, you know, we are emotional 
beings, but we are also told to be reasonable, <laughs> to be rational, and, uh, and keep our emotions in, 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 in check, so to speak. We don't want to do that. But, and the good news is that if you can transcend your mind, that the soul ex- actually is, is emotional. Hmm? And expressing itself emotionally isn't a problem. Hmm? The problem is when the soul's emotions, the, so, the soul, in emotional, you know, uh, 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 unit of consciousness with emotional feeling, it means capacity. Soul is the feeler, the perceiver, hmm? um, the experiencer. It's not, as I've said many times, because we have ears we can hear, eyes we can see. They get in the way of our seeing and hearing. The self is the seer, the hearer, hearer the feeler, the doer. Hmm? So what, what can, what, how, how much justice can eyes do to the beauty of form or ears to the beauty of sound? Hmm? The self unfettered, uncovered by mind, ears and uh, eyes and so forth and so on can experience the beauty of life, the sound oh, of life, Krishna. So, soul is a feeler, it's emotional in that sense. But when it's identified with matter, then it, its, it's emotional potential is, is kind of um, distorted, reflected on the, how much can you get out of matter? How much feeling is there in matter? As much as you invest yourself into it, because you're the feeler. Hmm? When you consciousness invests itself into something material, then it has a feeling. The feeling is like, that's my car. That feels good. The car is not feeling it. You're feeling it because you've entered into it by way of identifying with it as yours and possessing it, even though it doesn't really belong to you. And that's the problem with the material emotions. They're based on the self, a unit of consciousness, investing itself in things that don't endure. And so <laughs> it, it comes up short. We're experiencing our emotional life, but it's, it's, it's continually filled with, uh, with frustrations. We're trying to iron it all out. And, uh, uh, and the Bhagavad teaching is, one teaching is of Vedanta, iron it all out, do away with all these emotions. That's a problem. Make the ocean flat. Hmm? Ocean of emotions, make it flat, still, shanti, 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 peace. But the Bhagavad says, make it a tidal wave, hmm? Hmm? right? But let it flow on the shore of Krishna Bhakti. Not, 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 don't let these emotions flow towards objects that disappear. Hmm? I love you, and the next day you're gone. <laughs> then what? Well, you disappear. You changed from a whatever, you know. From a handsome young man to a grouchy um, couch potato. <laughs> yeah, so you transform right in front of my eyes. Yeah. So to, to, to so we need not flatten out the ocean. That's boring. No. Turn the waves into you know, tidal waves, but tsunamis. Phew, falling on the shore of that which is real. Hmm? So, turn our self in, 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 in relation to, we pose our capacity to love 
to give in an object that endures, Brahman, the Absolute, and this is taking the shape of Krishna in order to reciprocate in all the ways that are that, that, that love might express itself, which are unlimited, right? I mean, even this loving capacity reposed in material things, we, the world will never tire of writing about them, and poetry and song, and uh, and ever have done uh, justice to that. So, what to speak then of love of God, hmm? love, loving propensity reposed in something that endures and has the capacity to reciprocate unlimitedly, akila, as I said before, rasamrita murti, the very akila rasamrita sindhu. Uh, the ocean, the form of unlimited capacity to reciprocate in loving dealings with every single atom of consciousness at the same time. Each one feeling like I've got the full attention of the center. And they're all right. There's always room for more in such a situation. Everyone's centered properly. Then the ripples go out in the pool concentrically. If you throw the stones in different places, then it will not be peaceful to the mind to see all the ripples. If you throw them all, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, a hundred and eight, a thousand, eight, a million and eight, a trillion and eight stones all in the same place, then the, the, the waves just get bigger and bigger, and, but they're all harmonious and concentric. So. Everyone on the same, focused on the same center is the idea. So Sukadev has some idea about all these things. He's talking about that. Some feeling for all these things. He's going beyond the stillness of Brahman that caused him to leave home. He had no material emotions for family and friends. He just left home. He went into the forest. He heard the Bhagavatam. Now he's come back to his, his father was reciting the Bhagavatam. He realized, oh, my father's a little different than most people. So he heard the Bhagavatam from him. Then the occasion arose of the prick of Raj Pariksit, the king being cursed to die in seven days. He went to the bank of the Ganges to fast from food and drink and try to understand how he should conduct himself at such a crucial time and what's the, the real, the best way that human society should be occupy themselves, and the boy Sukadev appeared out of the forest. Now many people gathered there. The, the king, the emperor, is fasting till death from food and drink. Wow, it's a big event. And this boy emerged from the forest, and everybody saw him naked. They could understand. He, he, he knows the answer. He knows what, what to do about death. Because death's not a problem for him. Why? Because he has no attachments. What is death? But taking away the things that we think belong to us and define us hmm? in a way that's not sustainable. We cannot define a sense of self that's based on attachments to things that aren't really ours, that don't endure. Hmm? So they saw the boy and they could understand. He can teach us. Everyone became. Everyone was offering advice. So they all became silent when Sukadev came. Hmm? And this is what he spoke, the Bhagavatam. And we find he's now full of feelings. He left home 
You didn't want to get involved in feelings that would end up feeling empty, <laughs> um, leaving him on empty. He didn't want that. So he went to be still, and then he caught a wave of the Bhagavatam. He surfed back to his father's ashram. <laughs> on that wave, he heard the Bhagavatam, and he dived, dove deep in, in the ocean of spiritual emotion. Here we find, here's a nice verse. He's speaking to the king. He says about the Leela, he says, Sankyaturya Pradangas Chad Nedur Dundubaya Samam Prayana Prakrame Tata Vara Vad Vo Sumangalam. He's speaking to the king. Okay, the king is like his elder. This is just a boy, 16 years old. The king is the king. He's emperor. And he's about to die. And here we find the, the, the Sukadev is speaking about the leela of Krishna's birth. He says to the king, my dear son, he gets filled with vatsalya, <laughs> some parental effect. He's hearing about the leela of Krishna's birth. He's speaking about Krishna's parents, about in Dwarka, in Mutur Vasudev, Devaki, the whole story of how the wedding ceremony would happen, we're going to discuss it. And he says, oh, my dear son, Raj, <laughs> hear about this. I'm going to talk about this. There was a wedding. And Kong, and, and, and uh, the, the, the son of Sura Vasudev, he, his name is Anukudandavi, another name. It means, boom, boom, there were... These kettle drums beating at the time of his birth said, this, this, this fellow's extraordinary. He'll give birth to an incarnation. He married then the father, the daughter of Devaka. And, um, and Devaka gave his daughter in, in, uh, in, in marriage to Vasudev. And, and when he gave his daughter in marriage, who was under you know her his care and so forth, was the old system, right? He gave, man, even in America years ago, used to have to go and ask the father's permission to marry. Maybe they still do. It's out of the loop of marriage, but uh, at any rate, he gave his daughter in marriage, and then he gave like 400 elephants and charity and. So many horses and you know real products, real real things, uh, uh, food and he gave, this is an interesting point here on the, on the side because when we um, when we actually when we love he loved his daughter hmm? so he 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 gave away his daughter. Hmm? And um, and then he gave, you know, to the to the husband and and daughter, and he, he because he loved her, the things that he sent after her and so forth, he didn't feel a loss. So when we love someone and we give them something, we don't feel any loss, do we? We feel more full because we like we when we love someone, we identify with that person. So that, that it, that's why it's called the labor of love when we work. And there's no, there's no, there's no effort there. There's no giving. There is no pinching. Hmm? Sometimes I say you should give. And t- it was Mother Teresa, I think, said, 
something like that. that if, unless you don't feel a pinch, you're not giving. But if you're really giving, there's no pinch. That's the other side of it, right? We give because we should give out of duty. That's kind of a calculated giving and sacrifice, and that's good. We feel the pinch, okay. But when we fully give, and this is rag bhakti, what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was teaching, when we fully give, we don't feel the pinch. On the other side, you understand? There's no pinching because I've gone there. The bridge has been gapped between the object of love the love and the one giving the love. There's a, there's a, the bridge has been gapped. So these Brajbasis and these Maturabasis, we're hearing, we heard yesterday about the city of Mathura, the circle of Mathura that includes the forest of Vrindavan where Krishna performed his pastoral leelas and so forth, this mystical place, how it's a play, realm of consciousness, how one can enter there and so forth. So these pe- people, residents, this place, they're fully identified with Krishna in love. They they think he's one of us. He's ours. Hmm? So there's no, there's, they're not worshiping Krishna. Hmm? Like in Vaikuntha, where there's reverential love in the spiritual dimension, then they, they know he's Narayan. I'm, I'm different. I worship you, Om Narayan. Cowherds are, are resting their feet on Krishna sometimes after cowherding. And Krishna may even massage them. This is the nature of Satras. Sometimes they serve Krishna, sometimes they accept service from Krishna. <laughs> Just like with your, your friends. They, they see no difference. If you love somebody and you bump into them and touch them, it, it, it doesn't mean anything. If you, if you bump into a stranger in the street, you go, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Oh, yikes. Maybe he was contaminated. Who knows? <laughs> we think. But if you some love someone and they, and they, they touch you, hmm, then you don't feel any difference because so you've gone there. So, so he gave and he and he felt full. So there's a, a, he was. Uh, so when we really give in the full sense, then we don't feel a pinch at all hmm, because there's no difference between. I'm giving to my own self. This is the idea. This is the kind of bhakti we want. So he gave in charity. There was a wedding procession, and Devaka's uh, Devaki's brother. His name was Kangsa. He jumped on the chariot that was leading the procession of the wedding. Uh, fair and took the reins and thought, you know, well, you know, he's a brother, so he's going to drive the chariot. But he was a half brother. This this Kangsa, hmm? it said, son of Ugrasen, hmm? who was at this time the, the ruler of of Madhupuri or, or Gopalpuri, uh, Mathura, and. Uh, it's a long story from the Puranas, but he was born by a forced entry and uh, uh, and cursed. Uh, the, the fellow who did it was cursed to go to a particular Gandharva and so forth. So it's not an ideal birth, kind of an unwanted uh, birth. And his 
consciousness kind of showed that. <laughs> the Kongsa, he was fine. He wasn't the nicest fellow. Sounds nice here. He jumped up on the chariot and he was going to, you know, holding the reins. But then there was an oracle that came from the sky, a sound. And it said, you fool, talking to Kamsa. You're driving the chariot of your sister's sister and her husband in marriage procession, but you don't know that the eighth son of Devaki will uh, be the cause of your death. So he heard this. You think that well, who's tipping him off about this? Some demonic spirits, or, or no? But this was the gods. It's a complex thing, also. Hmm. They were a little fearful that Krishna is so nice. Hmm. Krishna is so nice that uh, he only gives love. Vishnu slays demons and does away with impiety and whatever by whatever means is necessary. But Krishna only gives love of God. Hmm. It's a distinction between himself and different avatars of himself. And there are many instances. This comes as one of them. In the previous birth, his name was Kalnami. In the eighth canon of the Bhagavatam, is described when there's the, the story of the churning of the ocean of milk. And so many things are coming out of that. So Kalnami appears in there, and he fought with Vishnu. It was of a demonic nature, so he, he, he was against uh, spiritual growth and uh, approaching the world with love and so forth, a loving disposition, but that it was, a, was possessed of a taking position. This is uh, unbecoming, demonic. Uh, the earth doesn't, doesn't like that, as I say. So, so anyway, he was killed by Vishnu and then Sukracharya with the, his son Jivana is a, a medicine, brought him back to life and so forth. And of course, eventually he died too, but everybody has to die. And then he, t- so he took birth um, as this uh, Kunks. It's a long story. He had uh, some sons. He was actually the son of Hiranyakasipu, another demon. And uh, his story is in the seventh canon with the Bhagavatam, long story, and he's quite a character. Uh, uh, very good at performing austerities and so forth, and he got a benediction from that. He wouldn't be killed at night or day and by land or water, by any human or any god. And he thought in this way he had saved himself from death, but of course Krishna is a little trickier than that. And he, he, in the form of the string, he killed him in a form that was half man, half human, not a god or a human, not on the land or in the sea or on the water, but on his lap, not with any weapon, but with his fingernails, his claws, the half that was lying. And it's, it's a long story, but anyway, Kalnemi was his son, and he had six sons. And these six sons were previously the sons of Marichi, who was the mind, incarnation of the mind, and a deva. But these sons... They criticized their father. Hmm? Or, excuse me, they criticized Brahma. Hmm? They saw Brahma do something unbecoming, even though he was a person of great stature. They took 
emphasis, they put emphasis on the character defect that they perceived in Brahma without taking into consideration the whole picture of who he was. This is not good. Hmm? And so Brahma cursed them. He cursed them, these sons, that they will become, they're sons of Marichi. He said, you must, you have to take birth as a son of a, of a demon. So they're sons of, but they're sons of Marichi. Marichi is the mind, so, hmm? What are the sons of the mind? They're, so, they're said to be sixfold. Kam, Krod, Loha, Lobha, Madha, Matsarya, Moha. And Kam, lust, greed, anger, bewilderment, madness, or illusion, and envy. Hmm. This is so. This is the bad side of the mind, so to speak, that we're all having to deal with. So, these sons, they took birth, these, these, they took birth as sons of Kalnami, and they aggravated Hiranyakasipu, their grandfather. And without going into the story, they aggravated him. He cursed them then, that they'd have to take birth again, and that their own father would kill them. So, that's Kalanami. Kalanami took birth as Kamsa. Hmm? The oracle said, the eighth son of Devaki will be your death. That means there were seven previous sons. One of them, we know, from what has already been described, will be Balaram. Hmm? That he first entered the womb of Devaki to make it suitable for uh, Krishna's appearance. After the previous six sons were killed by... Kamsa, who was the father of, in his previous life, of lust, greed, anger, illusion, so on and so forth. It also tells us who knows who our sons and daughters may be from the previous life. Yeah, so <laughs> that gentleman, as we heard the other day, has to be evoked, invoked sometimes. So anyway, this is so Kamsa. He heard the oracle that the demigods. Why they gave the oracle? Why they told Kamsa this? Because they were afraid Krishna is so kind. He's so nice. As Vishnu, he may deal with the bad side of people, but as Krishna, in his full form, he only sees the good in the people and only takes that. So they were afraid that this Kamsa might might be spared because of Krishna's affection for Devaki. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, who was, you know, his mother, so he'd be affectionate, and so Kams is related, and and this is Krishna's nature. Hmm. Who in their right mind, um, what is his name? Uddhava said, yeah. would take shelter of anybody else, even if you approach him with enmity in mind. Hmm. He gives a blessing. Of course, it's said that Krishna killed Kamsa, but this is when Krishna of the Braj, the full Krishna, and neither did he really kill him. He just scared him. He was so afraid, Kamsa of Krishna, that his whole life, when Krishna actually appeared before him, he died of fear. So, fear personified, it said, the name of Krishna steps on the head of. So anyway, Sugadev's giving this narration and the oracle comes from the sky and there's a whole 
as you can see, these stories have stories inside of them and inside of them, and and uh, and you read it and you wonder, how could anybody write this stuff? <laughs> Where does it all come from? You know, these story within story within story, going to this Purana and that Purana. They're obviously all connected, related, and and. Uh, I remember when I was young and first reading these things, how do you, who could possibly write this? And as I said the other day, then they don't know who wrote it. Nobody knows who wrote the Bhagavatam, who wrote the Puranas. The ac- academics are convinced it must have been a bunch of different people, but they can't find any particular author. Hmm? They want to date the books according to the, 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 the type of Sanskrit that they're written in, which was current at different times and so forth. And uh, the tradition says, of course, they're all manifest from Vyas, and he was the editor, and so forth. And, and, but uh, they can't find the author. And we say, there is no author. Well, we agree. <laughs> no problem. They're aparusheya. These are, these, are, these are revelation, sounds, and people who were tuned in well, lovers, so to speak, in the world, rishis, yogins, they, they heard the sounds. Huh? And then they recorded the sounds. But they didn't put their own names on the books because they weren't the authors. They held the pen only. They were instruments. Like I was saying last night, who gave some reasoning and some organization to the sound that filled, fulfilled them, the communication from the other side that's saying, yes, you're more than nature. You're more than the restraints that nature imposes upon you. You are, hmm, um, you have great uh, potential come out now from within nature. You're, you're budding. You're, you're, you're a unit of consciousness in the womb of nature for so many lifetimes. Now as a human, what you are is starting to come out. It's starting to show. There's self Identity is forming. Consciousness is aware of itself. Consciousness is there in other forms of life, but not aware of itself. When it gets to human form of life, it starts to be aware. This nature starts to wake up the fact it has a soul. And the soul just has a life of its own. Like when you give birth to a child, then you want to keep that child. It's always a child. It's kind of a tendency. And it's harder to let her go, right? And just fail. Because <laughs> it's you failing, thinking, I'm failing. They have to fail. They have to have their existential crisis. They have to get broke and get thrown in jail. Who knows what? And grow from that, right? You have to let them go. So, But that's the nature of parental love. We don't want to let them go, and therefore we don't let them grow. We want them to stay as, as children. So we're born, in a sense materially speaking, from nature. And we've been in the womb of nature forever. Hmm? Since a time without beginning, anadi karma. Now we get a human form of life. Hmm? And this is, we, you know, through these different forms of life, there's growth. The self, we find that unit of consciousness that animates matter is more present or more less covered more apparent in, in, in animal life than in plant life. We find more feeling in animal life than plant life. More feeling of pain and 
happiness as well. It's the feeling business. This is the self, right? Hmm? The experiencer. So, you know, you go to micro, microbic, whatever, you know, amoebic life, not a lot of feeling there compared to human life. And then so many in between. There's, this, is, this is a kind of consciousness-driven evolution. It may have some correspondence with biological evolution, but biological level evolution doesn't talk about or find uh, uh, or conclude that there's that consciousness is anything but biological. It's, it's not an empiric conclusion. It's a speculative conclusion. So, no. Consciousness is driving matter. And as it blossoms, then it needs different... Um, sets of clothes. Like as children grow, they need a new wardrobe. That doesn't fit anymore. So as consciousness develops, it needs a different body to express itself. Human body is the point where this consciousness is uh, becoming an adult. But nature doesn't want to let the kid go. Nature wants to keep, keep us back. She's seen us, after all, for millions of lifetimes, answering to her, and so forth. And human life is the chance. Now this child of consciousness is going to grow up, and it can leave home, leave the fold of nature and all of its restrictions, and be everything that it can be. And nature is a little hesitant to let us go. Of course, she knows the other side, too, and thinks, I don't think you're ready for that. (laughs) I don't think you're ready for that. But Krishna is very generous, so he appears within nature. And very... uh, Anyway, we are compelled. Krishna means all attractive, irresistible. The more we hear about him, the more we... And we're we're driven. To be, as I say, all that we can, we can be. So, um, anyway, it's a big story. All these stories have deep meaning, as you can see. And there's stories within stories within stories. And who wrote it all? Who can say? It's a parashe. It's no author. It's it's the sound that uh, that uh, we, we we listen to can uh, enable us, if you will, to be all that we. Or human life is, is the beginning, the real beginning of that. Hmm? To have human life is very rare. And to have human life and sadhusanga association with saintly persons, that's even more rare. And that's what these two things combine together. That take you off across the ocean of material existence hmm? to the other shore. Hmm? So all these stories are for that. You know, they're just stories. You think, well, but you listen to them and you see what power they have. Hmm? What's a myth? Hmm. A myth is a false, one definition of it is a falsity, right? It's a false thing. So we shouldn't look at this as myths in that sense, because what we find is if we hear them, they bring us closer and closer to truth. They take us out of the mythic world of our mind. They have the power to take us beyond the mythic world of our mind that thinks, I'm a man, I'm a woman. Hmm. I'm this or I'm that, and all all ideas are just 
ideas of the mind that, that don't endure. If we look at time, we say, practically speaking, it never existed. I mean, if a thing lasts for a hundred years out of eternity, then what do you, how much credence would you give? How much credence do you give to your dream at night that just, oh, yeah, I thought about that and I just forgot it. It was so flickering and short and incoherent. Hmm? Our life is flickering, short, and incoherent. Hmm. As a matter of fact, it's incoherent. As much as we are in pursuit of enduring happiness, and we look for it in relation to things that don't endure, hmm? and can't afford us any enduring happiness. What affords us happiness is us. When we invest ourselves in a thing, a thing has value. So it's the self that has value. Hmm? Consciousness, not matter. We ascribe value to matter hmm? by investing ourselves in it. And it has, then it matters to us <laughs> because it's mine. That mine means me, consciousness. That's what's valuable. This is what we are. Hmm? So these stories take us in that direction. Hmm? Properly understood, properly explained, and so forth. So anyway, there was an oracle. Hmm? That was said, you know, you're this eighth son of Devaki will kill you, and here you are celebrating the marriage, you fool. So this guy was pretty, there's a lot of different ways you could react to that. He dropped the reins and, of the horses and the chair and grabbed her hair with one hand and pulled out a sword with the other to behead his sister on her marriage day. This is Kamsa. You know, he's not a nice fellow in this whole story. Uh, he's... Uh, Personifies the type of things we're not interested in. He 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 is the really example, the prime example in the context of the story here, of the burden that the earth was feeling that caused her to take the shape of a cow and approach Brahma for some relief. Hmm? You know, if you if we go on, we won't have time. You know, we could read the whole story of the Brajlila until Kamsa is killed, and then Krishna goes to Dwarka and so forth. Then uh, there were many, many um, uh, henchmen of Kamsa that were sent to Vrindavan to try to find Krishna and, and, and to kill him. Hmm? And they're all very powerful. And they have these wizardly kind of powers that they, they take different shapes and so forth and try to kill him by becoming invisible, by becoming like the wind, Trinavarta, becoming like the fire, and forest fire, and so many things, mystic kind of yogis. And um, you read about them, they're all very powerful, but if you look at the history of Kamsa, it's not, not a lot of it's given in the Bhagavatam, but in other Puranas that connect to this story, we find that Kamsa, these were all the henchmen of Kamsa. They were doing the bidding of whatever Kamsa said, so what was his position? Hmm? He was hugely powerful, and uh, he had usurped the kingdom. He imprisoned Vasudev and Devaki. He took his own father off the throne and put him in jail and sat himself on the throne. Uh, all this to protect himself from the eighth son of Devaki. So they're riding on the horse, on the chariot. He's about to slay his sister in marriage, and her husband comes to the rescue and says, Wait a minute. <laughs> This isn't a good idea to kill your sister like this in public. I mean, you're a great guy, and uh, 
you know, people aren't going to think well of you for this. And he starts to reason with him. Hmm? And there's some beautiful philosophy in this chapter, really kind of basic philosophy that, like we're giving today, the difference between the self and matter and and uh, and so forth. And there so many ways he reasons with Kamsa. Hmm. The interesting thing is that Kamsa's not entirely swayed by it. He didn't have an ear for uh, for this kind of philosophy. But at the end, what Vasudev did was he said, well, look, here's the thing. You're going to be killed by the eighth son. So you got some time here. Hmm? And I promise you that I will take each son that's born and deliver each son to your hands. So you're not going to so spare the, your sister here in public, and I won't tell anybody. Uh, of course, there he was, you know, ready to cut off her head. And uh, and so the character of Vasudev, as we've said before, it's a common English saying that example speaks louder than precept. So Vasudev had the capacity to give the precepts, like the guru can give the teaching. But he also set an example in his life that was compelling. So both things should be there. And if if one of them will be lacking, we'll say the precept. <laughs> Better to have the, the character and the example, but but to do the job right, you really have to have both. Hmm? Um, so he gave the teaching, but Kamsa had no ear for it. But when he said, "I promise you, I'll bring you the, the sons," hmm? he he thought, "This guy doesn't lie. This guy's character is just like he's a real goody." Goody, you know, I'm going to take advantage of that. This guy is like, you know, he wears a white hat. You know, he, 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 he his promise he's going to bring. So I uh, said so he was convinced by that. He was convinced by the character, hmm, the saintly character of Vasudev. And uh, he went without the philosophy, so that, that's important. That has to be there. In fact, if the character is there behind the speaking, the speaking generally will have some power. Otherwise not. Of course, not everybody's a Kamsa, but um, so that's good. <laughs> we don't go and look for them to speak to us about we stay here and let people come to us. <laughs> They'll be a little receptive by the time they get here because we don't have that much power. But hmm, Vasudev had the power, at least by his example, to convince uh, Kamsa to stop doing something very unbecoming, very embarrassing, which is what material attachment leads us to do, to do very unbecoming things. Hmm? Uh, so Combs is an extreme uh, example of that to make the point to us. Hmm? But interesting thing, of course, is that when the eighth son, he brought all the six sons, hmm? but these were all calm, crowed, lust, you know, lust anger, greed, and so forth. Hmm? And uh, all of these were killed. Hmm? And then the seventh was Balaram, who was appeared to be a miscarriage, but he just come there in the, in the womb to, to purify that. And then he was transferred by Yoga Maya to the Brudge. We'll have to go to that part of the story, to the pastor who took birth from Rohini. And then, of course, Krishna came hmm? after Ram came and prepared everything. Hmm? Then Krishna came. 
And Ram, of course, is the guru represents Ram, so he tills the field of the heart, makes it fertile for planting the seed, that is Diksha, initiation of Dibhyagyan, which is one with Krishna, this divine knowledge. Gives that in the heart in the form of the mantra. This is the birth of Krishna, actually. Uh, beyond, you know, the impl- this is the implication of the story. Um, this, we should, this Krishna birth should be going on in every heart hmm. uh, on this day, and then all year long, the whole Leela playing itself out. And then it goes in a circle, comes back and starts again. And last to me, then again, Leela, all these stories going on in the heart. Hmm. No need for the television. Hmm. It's more exciting. And every time it's fresh. Every time the Leela is played out, it's fresh. It's new. Every time you see Krishna, it's like you've never seen him before. Hmm. There's always something more new, exciting. Hmm. This is, after all, uh, consciousness, the, the source of consciousness, like a valuable jewel. No matter how you look at it, there's a different angle, different facets, and so forth. Hmm. So never, 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 never a boring moment. We don't need, you know, a bunch of newscasters, you know, trying to make something out of nothing, over and over again. You tell the story, tell the story. You just want to vomit after a while. My God, I heard this. <laughs> Heard this story about some, you know, some some dumb thing that some politician did, you know, or whatever, over and over and over again. It's like I said, puna punas charvita charvanam, chewing the chew. That's what material life is. Just chewing something that's already been chewed, spit out, tried again. It's a, it's over and over again. It's only so many things that you can combine material elements so many different ways. It's it's a recipe for boredom, for sure. So, consciousness, on the other hand, that's exciting. That's the life. Again, only as much as it lends itself to matter, does matter take on meaning to us and seem to have a life. So, so these stories are meant to take us out of that world, small world of our mind. They can de- just close down the, the empire of the mind. So... Are they true or are they false? What's false? The story of the mind, that's false. Really false. And these stories have, this, have the ability to, to expose that, bring an end to that. And, and yeah, that's the birth of, of Krishna. And all the lust and the greed and anger, and all the things are, they're gone. They, they, they're done away with. They're done away with in a devotee's life because a devotee does two things. He or she contemplates all these leelas and meditates on them, chants the name of Krishna and so forth. And at the same time, well, they, devotees have attachments because bhakti is generous. She comes to anybody who she's care. It doesn't matter. could be anybody. So you don't start out perfect, right? You're in a shower, but you're dirty, so... Something like stay in the shower is the point, but um, some of that dirt is a little crusty and hard to get off. Despite the you know 
the pure water and so forth. So that's a given. Hmm? That's a given. But we lament that. Hmm? We have some remorse that, and some embarrassment that Krishna is so generous. He's giving himself to a demon like me. <laughs> Even a narrow-minded person like myself. He's so generous. Hmm? And um, so I, I feel remorseful that I'm not taking advantage. And I have a, and then I have a healthy fear hmm, also that I don't want to get distracted from my sadhana, from my practice, and get taken out of, out of the loop by material desires. Hmm? So this kind of fear, Devaki had two things. She had the joy to know from the oracle that her son would be special. When she said her eighth son will kill Kamsa, she thought, that's the son that they were talking about when my husband was born that I heard when they beat the kettle drum and said, he will give birth to a son who's like the Godhead. So she was thrilled with um, happiness, joy, but she had a fear at the same time that the child would be killed by Kamsa. We have a fear that the bhakti that's come to us, we may, we may spoil it, we may, we may offend it, hmm? we may put it aside, hmm? distracted by material desires. So that fear of such is like Devaki's fear of, of, of Kamsa. It's a healthy fear, that, so that we, 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 that we embrace our practices very seriously and so forth. This retires them. So. Uh, Mm. It's a given that such problems and distractions are there, but that we are concerned about them. Just like people ask me, that, "Oh, Swami, how can I, you know, overcome this or you know, be more sincere about this?" I think you know, just keep feeling like you're feeling when you're asking that question. There's no silver bullet. You're doing it. You're concerned about it. You want to make progress. You don't want to be distracted. That spirit. Is the is, is is the fear, as the concern, so to speak, of Devaki? So what did she do? What could she do? She was put in jail. How could she protect? Hmm? She had, didn't have any, you know, extraneous kind of arrangement to keep comes away. Hmm? So we invited Christian to our life. What more can you do? Hmm? There's no there's no greater power than Krishna, Krishna Nam, to deal with the situation. Hmm? Just keep yourself open to Krishna. Now, therefore, I say, no matter how hypocritical you might feel at times, go on chanting. Hmm? Go on chanting. Hmm? This is the idea. Keep Krishna Nam uh, in your life. This is Nam Dharma. That will, um, in time, that will rectify everything. Hmm? So, for today, we'll stop there. Any question? Yeah, that happens too. Uh, he took birth in Chaitanya Leela as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's sannyas guru. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Shri Bharati? Was it? Or was it? No, not him. That was who was he? He was Akura. Akura, excuse me, who took Krishna out of Vrindavan. It was the other guy, Chandkazi. Jagai Madai? No, that's Gaur, that's Jai Jai in an Encore Leela. But isn't that Kamsa? No, no, no. Kamsa was was Dantavakar and Sisupal. Yeah. No, it's, he took birth in Gorlila as Chand Kazi. The Chand Kazi tried to stop the Sankirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? And then the Sringadeva appeared before him and he became a devotee actually of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So. In that Leela he was he found his his uh, ideal, his destination. Yes. You said uh Kalanini was Hiranyakashipu's son? Uh, yeah, yeah. Makes him what? Well, Prahlad was a demon. Prahlad is the only demon who was uh, liberated by the touch of a Vishnu avatar. Whereas Krishna liberates everybody in touch with him, no matter how they contact him, the Vishnu avatars. Therefore, you find that Vishnu avatars killed. Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakasipu, and they took birth as Ram and uh, Kumbhakarna, and then they were killed by Ram, and then when they took birth as Tishupal and Dantavak, they were killed by Krishna, and then they got Sarupya Mukti. But Prahlad, he was a demon. He he became a Dukkavoji, and he was born a demon. They they call him a Daitya. Of Daitya, Krishna says, I am Prahlad. That's the special. See, Nishringa is special. So therefore, Nishringa is actually really in the full sense of a particular face of Krishna because Krishna was the deity of Prahlad. And he appeared in a unique form to deal with the situation. So he's a very special avatar. Sadaishvaryapurna, like Ram and like Krishna. So... All right, we'll stop there. Grantarasimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Shri Krishna Janmasthami Mahotsava ki jai. ki jai. Guru Parampara ki jai. Bhagavatam Anandai.